Well, in case you haven't heard, my name is Eric. I'm the new pastor, as of three, four days ago. Um, thank you. Um, in reality, I've been, I've been driving for the last three weeks back and forth many, many times. It's about three and a half hours from North Richland Hills. Um, many of you have asked me where North Richland Hills is, and I say it's in DFW, and you say, oh, it's Dallas. And, and I die a little bit inside when you say that, because it's, it's actually on the Tarrant County side of the DFW, so it's, it's more Fort Worth than Dallas. And it is not the same. Oh. Is it, is it too late to call the... <laughs> No, no, and, and so we go, and it's, it's about three and a half hours one way. I do want to say a, a few words of thanks uh, to the leadership here who has been willing to be flexible in meeting with me and my pre-existing schedule beforehand. I know for you all, this transition has been long. It has been a very long pastoral transition. Our churches in the United Methodist Church aren't really set up to run without a pastor for a long time because we're so used to one coming in and then a new one being there the next Sunday. And in this case, that didn't happen for about two months. So a big word of thanks to all the leadership here who have helped keep it going from then. Also, a big word of thanks to all of you for being understanding. Even though your transition has been very, very long, ours is very quick. Three and a half weeks ago, I got a call from my district superintendent. And we had been discussing new appointments because of things that had happened. And... Rockbridge had come up in those discussions, and he called me the last day the girls had off from school because of the ice storm, and said, the bishop has discerned that you'll be going to Rockbridge. And, and this is not an unusual discussion. This is my seventh appointment since our, our exile to the frigid north of Kentucky for a few years for seminary. And so this is a discussion I've had many, many, many times. But this time is a little different. Uh, the district superintendent, Philip Rose, was really hard-selling me. I'm like, and I just stopped and said, Philip, we, we've talked about Rockbridge. I know about this church already. You don't have to, you don't have to sell me on it. I get it. I, you, know, you, you don't have to do this whole standard kind of spiel you do. And he kept going, well, but there's a reason. And I said, well, what's the reason? He said, well, it, it's the start date. I was like, oh, well, what do you mean? An aggressive start date, like the Sunday after Easter or something? And he said, no, March 1st. That was the first week of February. <laughs> I was standing in front of the washer and dryer in the garage. I'd actually been, believe it or not, folding laundry. But we're happy to be here. I also thank you in advance for your patience as we transition as a family down here. Um, we have use of the parsonage at Smithfield until the end of May. Uh, Brittany and my mom and our girls will be staying there until the school year concludes at the end of May. But with that, I am happy to report to the congregation. We have a closed date on our house in Cedar, or in Leander, excuse me, Leander, of March 20th. So be, be in prayer for us. Everything finishes before then. So we're going to be local here. Um, in the meantime, after we close, I'm going to be staying by myself in a large house. So if you would love to feed me, I would not be opposed to these things. Um, 
But that, that's enough about me personally and all the thanks. Um, we come to a scripture today, and one of the hardest things to do is when you transition to a church, what do you say? Because part of preaching, part of this art that we practice in the church as pastors is a relationship that is built between the congregation and the pastor. And that's partly what makes preaching good. That's the difference between someone standing here at your local church that you go to every Sunday preaching and some guy you watch on YouTube or TikTok or something you know, saying things. He might be a really great speaker. She might have really great content, but you lack the personal relationship with them. And so when you actually craft a sermon, you begin to, to take that relationship into account and think about, well, this is what this person says, or this is what this person thinks, or this is what he said this week when I visited him in the hospital, or what she said when we had coffee. And you take all of that relationship stuff from the community, and that is brought into the process of writing a sermon. A great example is my last appointment in our traditional 8.30 service. I want to say thank you for not having an 8.30 service. Um, I had a guy, he would sit here, the third row over here every single Sunday morning without fail. He would find me every Sunday morning before he took his seat because he wanted to have lunch with me every single week. And he would come and he would, we'd set a lunch date and then he would go sit in his place. And I had another guy that was tall and lanky with a cowboy hat every Sunday and he would come in, he would shake my hand and give me a big hug. He would go sit in his place over here. And they were both in disagreement of what they thought was right. Couldn't be farther apart. And they knew that. So when I was preaching... Not only would I take that into account, and there'd be points I'd make, and I'd turn over here, and I'd get a hearty amen, and then there were opposite points I'd make, and I'd turn over here, and I'd get an even heartier and Texas draw amen. <laughs> Part of preaching is this relationship you build. So it makes it hard when you come in for the very first time to figure out what you're going to say, because what do I have to say to a room full of strangers, Really? What could I say up here that is of the same depth or substance as if I had had a year or two or five or ten? I was reminded of this scripture, Acts 3, 1 through 10. You know, the author here does something special. He is designing a parallel structure in the text. Now, if you don't study Literary, literary criticism a lot. I, I want to explain that, unpack that a little bit. The same person who authored this authored the Gospel of Luke. And as he did, he set this story up the same way he set up Jesus' encounter in Luke chapter 18. As Jesus is coming into the city and there's a man at the gate who's blind. And Jesus heals him. The same major points that happen in Luke 18 happen here. They're repeated here in Acts 3 in the same order of events. And also, it's a parallel to Acts 2. The author is trying to make a very important point, and he keeps drawing us in, not just with the content of the Scripture, but even how it's been ordered, saying this is vitally important. You can't miss this. And what is it that he's saying? He's saying, verse 6, Peter said, I don't have any money, but I will give you what I do have. And then he offers 
the man Christ. I don't have anything to give you that's special. I've been in ministry now. I've been under appointment for 14 years. Feels like I just got back from Kentucky yesterday, but that went really quickly. I've seen a lot of things in those 14 years. In fact, my very first funeral was a graveside funeral. It happened at my first appointment, which is about an hour away from here in a little town called Bartlett. Wow, you're the first church where people are like, yeah, I've heard of that. Everyone's like, what? Bartlett, what? And it's in Bartlett. And, and I'd been appointed there in October. It was a middle-of-the-year appointment kind of like this. And the bishop sent me, and we moved back from Kentucky, and we moved in, and it's this tiny little country church. If you're in the bigger group that doesn't know where Bartlett is, just go to all the way through Round Rock in Georgetown to Highway 95, cut up 95. You'll go through Taylor and Granger and all these other little towns. You'll get to Bartlett. And I got a call the first week I was there. It was a little old lady, and her mom had passed away in the point where they didn't have a pastor, and she wanted me to do the graveside service. So she brought us in. Or she wasn't an us because there was no staff. It was literally just me. She brought me in, and we talked about it. We planned it. We were going to go to the city cemetery. I went and borrowed a robe from one of my friends because I didn't have one, and those things are so expensive. And we had two babies at home. We weren't going to spend a lot of money on a robe. So I borrowed one from a friend. I went out to the city cemetery on a cool, windy November afternoon, and I waited. And I stood. I wasn't sure. She didn't say what grave. She kind of gave me a general area, and I stood in that general area, and I waited for this beat-up old yellow Chevy pickup from the 70s to come barreling down the, the drive in the city cemetery there. And before they got to me, these two men hopped out of the back of the bed, and they stayed down at the front of the cemetery where the road hit the city road, and they kind of were standing there, where they were looking out kind of just down the city road, making sure no one was coming. And then the truck continued to drive forward and pulled up to me, pulled a little past me to this grave, which I assumed was the grave, so I followed them to it. And I get there, and these two men, two more men, jump out of the back of the truck with shovels, And they walk up to the grave and they start digging. That's the point I start getting a little nervous. I'm like, this isn't normal, I don't think. This isn't right. Like, I have that knot in the pit of my stomach, like, oh man, I hope I don't get arrested today. This just wouldn't be a good way to start my time in this town. And the cab opens and like six people pile out of the bench seat of this single cab truck. And one of them is the lady I spoke to at the church, and she's holding a a Christmas tin, a cookie tin. And obvious ashes had been leaking out. And at that point, I was like, oh, Lord, have mercy. This is not what I envisioned my first funeral would be like. This is not, not right. And she walks up. And we have the lookouts down there nodding at her. We have the the other two guys who just dug a shallow grave on what was her father's grave. And she walks up to the hole clutching this cookie tin. And she's beginning to tear up. And I guess it was one of her sons or nephews or someone looks to me and says, Okay, preacher, go. (laughs) And I had my little book of worship on that cold, windy November day, and I read the graveside liturgy as fast as humanly possible. (laughs) Because in case you don't know, there are laws that dictate how you handle human remains in the state of Texas. And I'm pretty sure we broke like five of them that day. (laughs) 
And then as soon as I was done, no moment of silence, no reflection at the end like you normally do, no, no setting roses on the coffin like those been done, she dropped the tin, not even setting it down, she dropped it in the hole and they hastily buried it. And they played the whole previous scene and rewind. Everyone covered the hole. They jumped in the truck. They were about to drive away. And then the passenger door swung open and she jumped out and she walked up to me. And with tears in her eyes, she pressed in my hand a Dairy Queen gift card. Don't mind you that the Dairy Queen and Bartlett had closed a year before we moved there. <laughs> she had pressed that in my hand, and crying through her tears, she said, Thank you. You don't know what this means. And then she turned around, she got in her truck with her family, and the lookouts, and the diggers, and they drove away. I went, and I got in my car that was parked around the corner, thankfully around the corner, and I looked at the Dairy Queen card, and it was expired. <laughs> it took me a decade before I realized the significance of what I had done for her in that time. The fact that I could be part of something holy for her. Because in that moment, looking through all of the legal codes we probably broke, or the hasty graveside service, or the fact this young guy, fresh out of seminary, tripping over his own words as he tried to read the liturgy quickly because it was cold and he was terrified. I'd given her the one thing I had to give that day. And that was Christ. That's what Peter offers. But it's so easy for us to miss that. Especially in this world and in this age. It's so easy for us to get caught up in things that don't really matter. They seem important. Yes, they do. They seem very important. But many times, too many times, they distract us from what should be the one thing. The one thing we possess that the world needs. The one thing that we have to offer that no one else does. The one thing that should be central to who we are and our identity, and that is Christ. Oftentimes, everything else gets in the way. As some of you know, both my wife and I came from Belton. It a, was a small farming town north of here. Actually, when I say it that way, it makes it sound like it got destroyed or something. It just became a bigger town. <laughs> I went to high school in Belton. We both did. And my senior year, I, made, I had the misfortune of deciding to go all academic. I dropped all my sports, all my extracurriculars. I was no longer in tennis. I was no longer in choir. I was no longer in theater, musical theater, or any of that stuff. I just did straight academics because so I could have the most off periods and spend the least amount of time at school. I knew how to be a senior. And the downside of that, though, is I took calculus. I had a double block of calculus right when I started. Calculus A, B, B, C. And there was a group of like 40 of us. And it got smaller as the year went, because some of them decided, wow, why am I doing this to myself? 
And one of our friends was in the class, and he, he was a backup quarterback, and we were all really hoping he'd become the quarterback of the football team, because football, I don't know if you know this about Central Texas, football's kind of a big deal here. You know, I'm just happy I'm in a church that my Aggie jokes are actually going to land and people will laugh at them for once. <laughs> Despite the lights, I can still see my wife and the face she's making at me. She graduated from A&M, by the way. And in that calculus class, we decided as soon as the, the, the starting list came out for the football team that fall, and we saw our friend in the class did not make it, we decided a group of folks, I, w- I wasn't really one of the decision makers at the time, I was busy trying to stay awake, and they decided they would support him by making him t-shirts, because that's the most supportive thing an 18-year-old can do, right, is, is make a t-shirt to support them. And so they came up with the corniest slogan, or the most heartfelt, if, depending on who you are. Um, his last name was Klein, and, and the front of the shirt said Klein Time, number, I think is number four in his back, number one in our hearts. The cheesiest slogan we could encourage this guy with. And we wanted to make sure he could see it from the field. So they, they picked the most visible color you can think of, which is safety orange. So they are these shirts of safety orange with black lettering. And our school colors are red and white. <laughs> I can't tell you how many, how many girls and many guys also told us, wow, th- th- those two things don't go together at all. And so we passed a sign-up sheet around thinking it's just going to be our class, and, and we're going to spend a good amount of money, and we're actually going to get nice shirts. We're going to go to a professional printer and have them printed, and we'll have these shirts. And he'll see these orange dots in the student section, he'll think of us and feel encouraged. It's foolproof plan, right? It's a, it's a good plan. Our calculus class felt proud. Wow, look at us being encouraging. Well, we took a note, piece of notebook paper back when they still used them in school, and we, we cycled it around. And it came back a couple weeks later. And it wasn't the 40 or 45 orders we thought. It was about four or 500. <laughs> Our orange dots in the student section that fall turned into an orange block. <laughs> and as they ordered more and more shirts, even the, the students were doing it, the teachers were doing it, the staff were doing it. There were coaches wearing them. We thought it was this great thing. It had become like this movement that was something more than ourselves or even our original intent. It was just snowballing. And I remember one day he stood up in class, and it was before a playoff game. And it almost seemed that we were taking an identity on of ourselves in the student section. It was no longer about if our school won or if we supported the whole team, but it was all for this one guy. And he stood up in the middle of class one day and said, hey guys, this is great. I really appreciate all of this. But it's not about me. I think you guys should support the whole team this week. Profoundly mature, with deep emotional insight for an 18-year-old. And I don't know if the coaches put him up to that or not. They might have. But he understood what Peter was getting at. We had missed as a group the one thing that united our school. And that was that shared identity 
in this case, in a football team or in an alma mater. But the church is the same way. Even with the best intentions, we can go down a path that takes us somewhere where we miss the main point. Because we are working so hard towards those good intentions. And those intentions might be the work of ministry. They might be the theology we proclaim and profess. They might be the efficiency and financial reality of the staff and the organization, which are all good and important things. But if we miss that one thing that Peter talks about this morning, then all of the other good things are for naught. They're moot. They don't matter. Because they by themselves mean nothing. Because it's Christ and Christ alone that matters. And that's where we begin as a church. It's the only thing I have to offer you. It doesn't matter the degree I have or where it came from. It doesn't matter the schools I've gone to or the churches I have served between now and when I started. It doesn't matter if I have the best ideas or the worst ideas or all of the staff love me or all the staff hate me. That'd be impressive. There are only two of them right now. <laughs> so, so. It doesn't matter, though. It doesn't matter. The only thing I really bring to the table, the only thing I have to offer you today and every day going forward is the Christ I follow. And my hope is that you will see that too, not just in me, but yourself, because it is following Christ and offering that same Christ that sets us apart from literally everything else happening in our community. If we forget that, we're no better than the Rotary Club. I've been a Rotarian for a while. I was the only one young enough to ride in our actual bike ride in Mineral Wells. All 50 miles of it, I regretted that after the first five miles. <laughs> the next 45 were really hard. <laughs> My friends I drug with me regretted it even more. Um, we're no better than them, though. If, if, if we don't keep Christ at the center, if we don't remember that one thing, we're no different than them. We're no different than the Lions Club. They do a lot of great work. They really do. But we're no different than them if... We forget the one thing. If we forget the one thing, we are no different than any other community organization, any other group of people gathering together. We're essentially a country club that does good deeds. But your dues are much more expensive than almost any other country club around here. Because so we don't just ask for your money, but we ask for your prayers, your presence, also your gifts and service, and then your witness. Go out and do all this other stuff. That's kind of a little more than, hey, just have a good job and live in the subdivision and pay some money and you get to use the pool every now and then. If we miss the one thing, if we miss the one thing, then we cease to be a church. Now, that doesn't mean we always have to agree on everything together. It doesn't always mean we have to be of one mind on everything. We're not going to be. I promise you, there are people out there, some of you are going to disagree with me. 
I promise you I'm a big enough person to hear that. There's some of you that are going to think that this isn't good or that isn't good. There's some of you that are going to be there and think, man, A&M really does have a decent football team. (laughs) And then some of you are going to ride home with me and just not be nice to me because I said that. Oh, thank the Lord, it's a church near A or UT. (laughs) But seriously, there's going to be disagreement. There's going to be times where we struggle. There's going to be challenges that come. I mean, we just, I walked in the door and we faced some. We had a mold issue. That was not the thing you want to hear about right after the DS seats you at a new church. There's several things you don't want to hear about. That's one of them. You know, we had to work through staff issues with missing staff members and open positions Already, I mean, I haven't even started, and I was working through that, doing interviews, trying to come up with solutions. There are going to be challenges yet unknown to us. But if we keep the one thing central, if we keep Christ at the center of all of this, we can overcome those challenges together. Even when we don't agree, even when they seem insurmountable, even when your new pastor drives up and there are tree branches everywhere and you think, wow, was there a land hurricane that just came through? <laughs> I guess the answer is yes. I heard someone over there say yes. Yeah. Yes. I also noticed that when I looked at houses the other week, there were tree branches everywhere. If we keep the one thing center, that is Christ, then all of these challenges, all of these differences, all of these divisions amount to nothing. Because as Scripture says, in Christ we are more than conquerors. So I want to invite you, as we start this new season at Rockbridge together, to come with me, to join with me. I'll do my best to serve you as any servant leader should. But I want us to be up front. We're not here for one side or the other or for this or that. We're here for one thing. One thing alone. It's the same Thing that Thomas Aquinas, the, the old medieval church theologian, called Pope Innocent IV to remember. Pope Innocent IV was the Pope when they finished St. Peter's Basilica, you know, the, the fancy building the Pope presides in in Rome. And he finished it and he called Aquinas in and he was showing it off. He was bragging about it. And he took him around. You could see the ornate work of St. Peter's Basilica. I mean, it took hundreds of years to build this building, filled with the best art the medieval world could have, a source of wealth, authority, and political power. At the height of the Catholic Church's pinnacle in medieval times. And Pope Innocent IV, he's, he's carting Thomas Aquinas around brightest minds to come out of the church in the Middle Ages. And he notes everything. He says, look, Thomas, no longer, as the Pope references this passage, no longer does Peter 
have to say to the man, I have neither gold nor silver. And Aquinas, being pretty sharp, says to him, yeah, and no longer can Peter say to the man, in the name of Christ, rise up and walk. Church, we have an opportunity in this new day to go into this community, to all the people of Cedar Park, Leander, and whatever all the other smaller towns are that I couldn't remember this morning when I was jotting them down this week, and do just that. Not offer them gold or silver. If you do have those on site, I'd desperately like to know about that before the next finance committee meeting. (laughs) We don't have the ability to go and offer that There's always going to be a bigger church somewhere with with fancier stuff and a larger budget. But what we do have, we can offer together. So I invite you, as we start our time, to partner with me as we offer them Christ. Let us go from this place and give them the one thing we all have. Let's give them our Christ. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.